Hi, this is the Seattle Mama Doc Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson. We all work so hard to perfect how we pull off parenthood, and often we may not feel good enough. I'm here today with Dr. Beth Abel to help you face these challenges head on. Beth, thanks for joining me. Good morning. So Beth is a professor, like a full professor of pediatrics at the University of Washington, and she works in the Seattle Children's System and is the head of safe and active transportation at the Harborview Injury Prevention and Research Center. And just to set the stage on that, Harborview is a level one trauma center, meaning it takes the highest degree of injury, any comers, really from a very large multi-state region, and brings them to one center. And if you watch TV, it's literally kind of what Grey's Anatomy wanted it to be when they made that TV show. It's where I did my trauma training and um, worked with Dr. Bell over the years. But for the past 15 years, she's been there um, in a kind of day-in, day-out basis, basically welcoming with open arms children and their families who've sustained life-threatening, often life-ending injury related to traffic injuries. And throughout her career um, has been very active um, politically at the state level and at the national level, helping us understand how and why kids get into car accidents and have sustain large injuries, meaning like how kids use seatbelts and booster seats and how parents use them, and has really shifted in some ways and augmented her research in the last five to 10 years looking at the other threats to how kids and their families get injured in car accidents, and that has to do with distraction. So we're here today to talk at large about distraction and to thankfully lean on you, Dr. Bell, and all you know about parenting, pediatrics, trauma from kind of the horrors that you see and witness. Um, and then I think the fastidious work you do to try to just bring the numbers down. So I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. I really think from, from my perspective, you know, I do, it's an honor to take care of sick kids and help them get better when we can and we do a good job. But I will say that doing this job every day makes you think um, this shouldn't have happened and surely we can do better than this. We, we know things that work uh, what can we do to implement the things that we know work? And so that's really been, I think, the motivation for me to start to doing some research and understanding a little bit more uh, what do we need to do so that kids are not coming into the trauma center. Yeah. And, you know, I, I only spent a few months of my training in the trauma center, and you've spent, you know, well over a decade or a decade and a half there when that kind of surely we can do better. So in that kind of sobering, kind of yucky feeling that inspires, you know, we all worry, right, to be on the other end of an accident. So let's just talk about risks in driving and, and kids and, the, and safety. So every parent wants to do a great job. No parent on the planet wants to ever have an accident in a motor vehicle or as a pedestrian or ever have their child anywhere near it. So top of, uh, top of mind, like, what what in the surely do better in your kind of sage advice and experience like what do we do right now like mm -hmm. what today is what could we do differently that would just be an easy modification in our lives great um well there are i think a few critical factors that really can reduce the risk and i think that's the good news for parents there's a few things that that aren't too hard but it's really saying to yourself um you know, I as a parent too, I get negotiated all day long by my kids. I have teenagers. They're highly skilled negotiators. Um, <laughs> they're, they're 12, I, 15, 17. So she's, you're, you're deep. Yeah, I'm deep. deep. And, and, you know, probably the 
better you are as a parent, the better your kids get in response to you, right? They, as a they rise and, you know, they surpass <laughs> everything you could do. So what, what I would say is then there's a few areas where we as parents have to decide, I will not negotiate on this because it is too important. It's not everything. It's a few things. And one of those has got to be around tra and traffic safety. Um, and what you'll hear me talk about is I don't use the word accident. I use the word crash. And that's trying to keep people focused on the fact that there are a few very simple and predictable steps we can take um, to prevent something that is not an accident. Uh -huh. It's the result of a number of factors that didn't get done, that didn't go well. Um, and that's the good news, too, because those things can be prevented. So so let's, let's list them out. I mean, I think, you know, some mm -hmm. of the statistics that you shared, um, you know, and I remember you were part of one study in Washington drivers um, looking at almost 8,000 drivers found that one out of 10 drivers was using a cell phone. And when you helped me understand when I was doing media on that, I remember you saying to me, all drivers. So they're, they're watching every car go by. And one out of 10 drivers in that moment. In the moment. That's, that's right. what's so crazy. It's mm -hmm. not like, oh, yeah, here and there, one in 10 drivers using their cell phone. They're sitting there looking at cars go by. And one in every 10 in that moment is using a cell phone. Right. So, And I don't, I don't even know if that's a surprise anymore, you know, to drivers yeah. on the road when you yeah. look around or if you're actually honest with yourself. And I think, moreover, we've seen a shift from the talking on the phone to texting, yeah. which is so unbelievably risky. Um, well, what are, what are the data? Well, tell us the data yeah. on that. So if you're talking on a handheld phone, um, this increases your crash risk while you're doing it about fourfold, which is about equivalent to a, a 0.08 blood alcohol level. It is so a drunk driving. It's drunk driving. It is impairing you. And that impairment is both cognitive impairment as well as visual impairment. Often your people are dialing or looking for their phones. They're using their hands. And sometimes... Um, you know, they're not listening as well, so your ears aren't engaged. So it's really taking a lot of your faculties and redirecting them to another task. But that's about a fourfold increased crash risk. Now, you can hang up. So if you're drunk, you're drunk for the trip. So I'm not saying they're completely uh -huh. equivalent, but I'm just saying that you are impaired by your cell phone. Uh, texting is a 23-fold crash risk. It's like driving with a 0.19 blood alcohol level. So, so sorry, so the first one was... Talking, talking on the phone is the equivalent of being drunk. Phone. But when you're texting on a handheld mm -hmm. phone, so mm -hmm. if you're holding the phone up to your ear and talking, mm -hmm. it's like being drunk 0.08. Yeah. If you're texting, mm -hmm. it's more than double the it's blood alcohol equivalent. It's more than double. It, yeah. It's a, the, the crash risk goes up fourfold with a phone, hold, yep. the held, handheld phone, about 23-fold <sighs> with the texting. texting. So the blood alcohol level equivalent is like 0.19, but just because that's a yeah. little more than double, your it's risk has gone up by so, so much more. So 23 times more likely that's that right. you'll crash. That's that University of Virginia study. Is that right. correct? Yeah. yeah. So so 23 times more likely while texting that you'll crash versus if you weren't texting. Right. Yeah. And, you know, people, again, we need to just know yourself if you think about it. But people look down on the phone. So now eyes are off the road. Hands are off the steering wheel. Your brain is not engaged. Um and you maybe probably didn't intend to look very long at that phone. But the minute you do glance at it, it captures you. Uh -huh. It draws your attention to another place. And um, there's some great examples of people. If listeners are interested, you can just Google uh, the AAA Foundation has videos on distracted driving where they put a camera in the car. 
So you want to give yourself a good jolt. You go look at that uh-huh. and look at how long eyes are off the road when you're texting. For many people, it's about four out of five seconds. And in that time, you can travel the length of a football field completely in a, in a yeah. blacked out state so that you're really not paying attention to what you're doing. That is the risk. So, so these are all risky, but there's the risk behaviors as our phone use has, you know, as modeled with our phone use, has shifted towards these very high risk yeah. endeavors. Well, and I think what's hard about this is that you know, it's like we can, we can spout data this whole podcast. I mean, we could go through terrorizing after terrorizing piece of data. It's really, what is it, you know, it's like I was thinking as you said that, like, is it effective to show a teen or a mom those kinds of videos at the four or five seconds and how you could careen completely off the road or slam into a pedestrian? or And is that going to change the kind of what can feel so urgent of answering an email, looking at a reminder that popped up, someone um, pings me or texts me, my kid calls me, which makes me nervous. My, um, you know, our, our child care, our, our babysitter calls and I think something's wrong. Um, you know, what is it that's going to get us to say, because I think we all know it's not good, right? And and I think I, you know, I remember writing an early post about this probably seven years ago and, and talking about the advice of saying, just always put your purse or your backpack or what have you in the back seat and make sure your device is there. So you just, you overcome the kind of urge to reach over and grab it. Mm-hmm. But I think as we've embedded texting and apps and phones more and more into our daily lives of how, how frankly, I get my work done, how I get my kind of family organization done, I think it's a slippery slope. Like, I- I'm here to raise my hand. You know, I mean, hopefully this podcast will change me. But my phone is now in the front seat again. It isn't in the back, in the purse, like I've advised with my finger wagging. It was at that time. I was taking my own advice then. And I think as my kids have gotten older and I've gotten busier and my jobs have maybe even gotten more complicated, somehow I believe that that's more important. So, Beth, what is it that, like, how do we help people who are listening kind of know, okay, so, so we know, to your point, the one thing that we could do is decrease the one thing we really can control, our use of devices in the car that we know are distracting to us, to our minds, mm-hmm. to our hands, to our eyes. That's right. Um, well, it is a challenging problem. I mean, if, if it weren't, it would be solved because everybody knows this already. I mean, I don't know if everyone knows exactly how risky it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is helpful for all of us to, to hold in our brains the notion that this is impairment. So you wouldn't yeah. drive drunk. Yeah. I wouldn't drive drunk. Yeah. And that's what's happening. So we've accepted one behavior on that because we know it's so risky and so dangerous. So I do think there's some helpful parallel when we're saying, yeah, I am going to start to pay attention to some strategies to do this better. But you're totally right. It's not enough. And part of that, appreciate the fact that we have trained ourselves on this phone in that classic Pavlovian model that there's a bell and a response and a bell and a response. And so when that bell rings, it is very, very challenging for us because we're so practiced to not pick it up. So what I would say is I think some of the things that help, um, one of them is a law. And so I'm delighted that Washington State this year passed a really robust distracted driving law because you may not, you know, everybody says just, I just check my phone in the intersection or I just, but really. <laughs> just, it's so just, true, it's right? just. And of how you kind of say like, oh, I'm okay. I just break the tiny rules. I don't break the big ones. Right. Yeah. And you know, that's how we all are. We all sort of, how much can I go above the speed limit? You know, we all have this place. Well, <laughs> I can drive 72 now, and a 65. It is helpful to you to know that you will get a ticket. Your ticket will hurt. It will be recorded on your driver license record. 
And your insurance company can get access to it. So help. So one of the things I'd like to lean on is that I know you were a part of the booster seat laws and, and child safety restraining laws. What do laws do? I mean, how does it change behavior? Why? Mm-hmm. Why do laws change behavior? Well, it's two things. I think the first reason is that for we as people, we all feel like we're probably a little bit better than everyone else. And therefore, uh-huh. I'm a safe we, texting and driver compared to someone else who's not as smart. We as don't me. feel that we're <laughs> at risk of a crash, uh-huh. and that's why, as you pointed out, trying to scare people into to changing behavior based on crashes ineffective. Mm-hmm. But we do feel that we're at risk of getting a ticket. You know, if mm-hmm. I speed, I'm going to mm-hmm. get a ticket. Absolutely. If I, um, you know, turn left on red, I'm going to get a ticket. Mm-hmm. And you will now get a ticket for this, and that will help us motivate that behavior. And, but it and, goes and what, that. What, and I outline what the law mm-hmm. is because I think it, it's mm-hmm. good for people to understand what kind of laws. Um, and so it worked with, with child restraint, correct? I mean, it worked with you forcing people to buckle and use boosters or? Well, I think it's been highly effective for seatbelt use. Yeah. And that piece has helped us on the booster seat law. You uh-huh. know? Um, but lots of tickets have been written on seatbelt use and people have changed their behavior. And, yeah. you know, it's not just the punishment or the ticket or this notion that, you know, you're at risk of a ticket in a way you don't think you're at risk of a crash, but it's also a normative thing. You know, I think we start to think, wow, you're right. I, I didn't, you know, I knew this was risky anyway. So I'm going to, you know, it helps you commit, you know, I'm going to step up and I'm not going to use it. I'm going to get a clip for my phone Uh and leave it on the dash so that I can use it for navigation. I'm going to get, you know, a Bluetooth headset or something if I need to have uh-huh. a chat or want to hear my directions or figure out which is the best route here in the traffic. That brings me up to something because I, yeah, because, you know, like I think about in the last, I, w- I was traveling for work in the last few days and I was in a couple different cities and using Uber drivers or, you know, dri- drive services in that way. And, you know, those, those phones, like sometimes dr- some people have two, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where there's like an iPad mounted and a phone and they're getting personal calls and they're using navigation on the other. Mm-hmm. And I have, and I'm not kidding. I've written a blog about this in the past. Like I find it very challenging, but I have said to people, I'm hiring you to drive me somewhere. Would you please stay off the phone while you're driving right. me? And it's you, just my one rule. And I usually throw myself under the bus. Right. I'm like, oh, I'm just a doctor and I'm so sorry. I know it's annoying to you, but please do that for mm-hmm. me while we're driving. It'll make uh-huh. me feel so much better. Yeah. And, and they do comply. But cal- tell us the difference on the data mm-hmm. between... Is it a lot safer to use a hands-free device? And since the law reflects that a bit, I'd love to understand. Like, you know, I think those are one of the just things. Like, oh, yeah, I talk on the phone, but I, I, use, I always use my Bluetooth. Mm-hmm. Or I only do it at the stoplights. Or what is the data on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the first thing I wanted to pull out from what you're saying is really important is the role of pre-commitment or addressing something at the front, right? So just like you, if you say, if you don't say anything to yourself, you made no plan, you know, for this, you you. you and yet you know it's important. Nothing will change because your phone will ring your answer. But Meaning if you, if you think, don't make a plan for yourself and like a pact yeah, like, with yourself of I'm, I'm not going to text, you just will. Right. I am not going to pick up my phone in my car. Mm-hmm. And what will motivate you to do that? Well, getting a ticket helps, right? <laughs> um, getting You get a ticket. I can tell you after that you'll do it, which is too bad. But I think for parents, and that's a large part of our audience, and this has been motivating for me on hard things, is to consider the fact that my children are watching what I do. And I can tell you as the parent of teenagers that what I say doesn't seem to have a lot of weight, (laughs) but what I do has a lot of weight. And so that is the critical feature. Your kids, you are the teacher for your kids. And as much as you might feel they ignore you all day long or do the opposite, they watch you because what you do is a measure of what matters to you. So I've got drivers who are coming down the road. I have somebody who's driving now. It really keeps me mindful. You have a kid who's driving. Mindful. Yes. It really keeps me mindful 
that, you know, I do not use my phone in the car. What I've come to think about after that, though, and this is helpful for parents, um, you know, as your kids get older, the amount of quality time you have to sit with that kid one-on-one, you know, to hang out, gets to be less and less. I mean, there are friends, there's activities. And what I've also come to appreciate is that car time is part of this one-on-one time. It's almost like date night with my kid, if I can look at it that way. Uh And so actually, I've been struck about how often, you know, when you're picking up from school and kids haven't processed things yet, Mm -hmm. that's when you hear about that kid who's been bullying me, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or that's when you have this question about um, uh, marijuana use at a party. Mm-hmm. That is the discussion you want to have with your kid. Mm-hmm. And it's so much easier to have that when you don't have to look at each other, but you're just kind of companionable, you know, companionably in the car. So the approach yeah. I've taken now is to really think that this car time, I took time out of my job, my life, to drive you to God knows where. But you know what? This is my time with you. That's why I do it too. And so I now ask my kids not to use their devices in the car And so I've come to think about this travel time, which is first, you know, it's a safety question because I want to be, you know, I want to get you there safely. I want to get my most precious, Mm -hmm. you know, thing in all my life, in all my (laughs) world, home safe and sound. Mm -hmm. But since I don't go around thinking about that all the time, I also do think that, you know, this is my, this is my time with you to listen to you, to be there with you, let you, you know, work the radio and teach me the latest about electronic dance music or whatever happens to be. And um, have a discussion, and so that, yeah, it's an I intimate place. Another I think uh, another piece that has helped me, you know, really be consistent on this behavior in the context of the car. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, the the you know we talked before we started recording about that you know intimate like that we we're pretty good at making sure we don't use our phones at the dinner table. You know, that's easy for us to do. We're we're worse at it in the car, and that in some ways that car, that compartment, that private place that we have with our kids when there's nothing else going on but movement, right? Is this very intimate place to to be connected and to bond? And not it isn't always even about what's said. Sometimes it's about what's not, right? Or just mm-hmm. the time and presence that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the change. So I'd asked you, you responded to this when I was saying, what's the difference between talking on the phone and, and, and you know, holding the phone versus using Bluetooth? And we got right to the heart of, it doesn't even matter, right? Because our listener, who cares? The date, we know it's safer to talk on Bluetooth and it's still not that safe. So, but, yeah. but the reality is that's not what's going to change us, right? It's thinking on, can I take this sacred thing, my child, and can I take this profound opportunity, still time with them before they're out of the house, even if they're a toddler or an infant, and can the time in the car be just as perfect of a place to interact and love and exchange love than uh, as the dinner table has been, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's hard for us to do that because we think of driving, particularly in traffic. <laughs> I mean, if anything you and mm-hmm. I know is mm-hmm. from Seattle, right, is that sitting in traffic it feels like idle time. So it's thinking on, particularly when our children are our cargo, that 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 we have to kind of reframe. I, I love that that we have to kind of reframe that as this like this kind of carriage of intimacy as opposed to of this great time. Absolutely, if you think of like idle time with your kid who can't right. walk away and right. turn on the TV. I mean, that actually is a precious time. Now, don't expect this to be greeted with open arms because it isn't. But just like the dinner time, you know, conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rules work when you put them in place. You can now blame it on the law. You know, yeah. blame it on the law. Say I'm I'm not on my phone because it's a law. Um, I'm going to ask that you not do it as well. Yeah. And, you know, 
I'm not saying this is the case for your, you know, 10 hour drive to Montana, yeah. but I'm just saying that this is, this is very reasonable. I mean, gosh, this is, you'll see that this pays off for you. So I think that's a factor. Um, I think the law is a, a factor, but I think you mentioned in your taxi cab thing, when you say to Uber, you know, at the start of the ride, yeah. like this is my set, it's not a criticism. Yeah. It's just exactly. the way it's going to be. Whereas if you forget and you wait till they use it, now and you're going to hear about what a safe driver That's so they good. are and everything. Yeah, and I, I don't always do that right, Beth. <laughs> I mean, I think I do get irritated or something or I feel unsafe and I say it. But I have done it at the start. So that's that pre – we're making a – we we have a deal, right, mm-hmm. which is almost what you're going to say with your kids. We have a deal here. I'm not going to use my device. Please don't use your device. Or you make a deal that says you can use your device um, for 10 minutes after school on our 30-minute drive, but you can't use it for the next 20. Or you can use it after we talk for 20 minutes or while we sit in silence for 20 minutes. Either way. Right. And you you can use it for the last 10 minutes of the drive. You know, right. when we get to Safeway or what have you, then you can use it. But until then, you're mine. <laughs> right. And, and I think that's a it's, a, it's a nice way forward because I think we can rattle off and you're such an expert on understanding why distraction is dangerous. But I think everybody's heard that. Mm-hmm. And now it's really saying we're just vulnerable um, to this impairment, right. your word. And um, and the impairment is not good for us psychologically, mm-hmm. and it's and it can be deadly. You know, I think the statistics on, on de- like driver distraction causes almost kind of one in five of the fatal crashes that occur. So, well, this is very sobering. You know, w- 10 years, we have reversed, in the past two years, we have reversed 10 years of progress in traffic safety and rolled it back to where we were 10 years ago. So to explain that in, in lay terms. so In lay terms, yeah. the crash rate the last two years has gone up yeah. so drastically, 15% in the country, that we are now back to where we were 10 years ago before cars were safer, before we had improved our roads, before we enforced our drunk driving laws better, before our seatbelt use was what it is today. So distracted driving's like and rolling us And that's a significant back. component. Yeah. That's right. That's a significant component. So we, we got to... You know, can't be complacent about the progress we've made. We need to do better. This is actually the biggest increase in traffic deaths that we've seen in 30 years. So do you think, Do you? why do you think the governor in the state of Washington signed the bill that, you you know, you can talk on a, on, on a Bluetooth device, you can't talk on a handheld, you can't text at stoplights anymore, you can't um, text while you're driving, and, and you're going to get a punishment by basically getting a ticket, and then it's going to go to your insurance as well, and it'll likely affect your insurance rates. What is it that changed the governor to say, yep, in that kind of the criticism of it being a nanny state type thing? What is it? Is it the storytelling? Is it the death rate? Is it like what, what changed the governor that might be able to change us? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the reason to do it is the public health reason that this is a big problem and it kills people. You know, that's the public. That That is why it matters. We don't try to regulate every little thing. I'm not interested in your hamburger eating in the car. <laughs> yeah, there are other I'm researchers not. who care about that. Yeah. So, oh, in the car. In mean, the car. You're saying like the food Same while thing. driving. Because that's know. distracting too, right? Well, I mean, any possible yeah. thing could be distracting. But yeah. this is the predominant problem. It is one of the largest contributors to death and injury. So that's why the governor took it. But what did matter too? And of course, it took three years to pass this law. The voices of families spoke so loudly. And, you know, we all came, I came and presented data, but I tell you what was most convincing to me was a grandma standing up and she said, you know, three years ago, it was me standing here asking for this law. And last year, there are four families standing here. And this year, look at all the families standing here Mm -hmm. asking you to pass this law. And if you do not, 
then I can tell you next year we will be here again and there will be more and more of us. And at some point, it's really not fair. I mean, one of the interesting things is that the number of people have been killed who are, again, back to our pediatric interest, who are I'm going to call vulnerable road users. And one of the things I like about our new law, you cannot use your device at the intersection. So a lot mm-hmm. of people who are in that just camp are like, well, I just pick it up and, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> at the intersection, at the stop yeah. sign oh, and yeah. stuff like Well, that is where critical decision-making happens for driving. That is where you have to pay attention to that driver who runs the yellow slash red light. Yep. But consider that walker. I mean, who among us has not all of a sudden noticed, uh-huh. you know, because we're looking left for the car, you know, yep. as we're yep. going to turn. But all of a sudden there's a pedestrian and on the car. sidewalk yep. to the right. Yep. Now, when you're on your phone and you're looking down, all of a sudden you look up and you say, oh, yeah. green light. Yeah. You know, God knows how long yeah. I've been here. And you just start to go. So yeah. you do not scan. You lose your situ- situational awareness. And we see this. In Seattle, one half of our fatal traffic injuries now are, are pedestrians. Oh. So we want people walking, right? Uh-huh. We deserve to be safe walking to school, walking home. It's good for us. You want to be able to bike, you know, for, that's a great way for people to be healthy. We have wonderful opportunities. And we're working on ways to make that safe. But distracted driving particularly puts these vulnerable road users at risk. With ourselves, like we don't have to, we make contracts with our insurer <laughs> and we sometimes make kind of contracts mm-hmm. with our partners. Um, but so we have to kind of do this in ourselves, right? You're kind of saying this is impairment and particularly when you're making decisions at a stoplight and when you're driving 70 miles an hour. But with our teen drivers, we can model, to your point, right? Of course. I mean, I can, we can't say that enough in parenting, but it's it, but it gets old, right? As a parent, I'm like, oh, I have to model the perfect behavior, and I'm so tired today. Um, what can we do with young drivers that might help? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think actually that is just as important for the middle schooler, who in many ways is more malleable. So, you know, <laughs> just just do it, you know, and, and show your kid. You are really saying to your kid, you are the most important thing to me. I mean, putting your phone down, that is what you're saying. So just, I think it's helpful to think about it. But your point is that um, for the teen driver, and in fact, I think for a family to say, talk about it with your spouse, you know, first and say, look, I think we as a family have decided that we're not going to be using the phone in the car. The new law is convinced us. um, But we're doing this because we're important to each other. So making that pre-commitment, having a conversation about it does hold you publicly accountable to the people you care about. Um, For a new driver, this absolutely is something that needs to be in a written contract with your kid because it is not helpful to just be, be safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need specificity of what that is uh-huh. because everyone thinks they are. Yeah. Nobody goes around thinking they're risky. But instead, you need to say you will wear your seatbelt um, at all times and so will everyone else in the car. You know, We pay for injury that happens to you, but God forbid, right? You promise to not use your phone. Um, you we'll be back at 11, you know, because of the graduated. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So, so, so I part think of that this contract. pre-commitment, having it written down and having the consequences clear is helpful for kids as they're making that decision and um, will also help you when you go around to saying, okay, this happened. Now I'm going to implement this. Yeah. Well, um, Dr. Beth Bell has, you know, done uh, countless um, hours of care in a trauma center, has studied how seatbelts and car safety restraints save children's lives and how parenting modifiers can can adapt that. She's looking and watching at the reversal of our car accident and fatality deaths and crash deaths because in one part of distraction. We know that using a 
telephone in the car is distracting because your mind and your ears and sometimes even your hands are causing you not to be as safe. The equivalent of talking on a phone if you're holding it is the equivalent of being intoxicated at the legal level of intoxication for a DUI. If you're texting, it goes from a four times risk from talking on the phone to a 23 times risk of having a crash. You just up the ante of danger. And we sometimes do that when our kids are in the car. And it's not just when you're going 70 miles an hour. We know that these decisions create huge, deep impairment to us as drivers. And they also take us away from what we care about most, which is the relationship with our children, the opportunity to learn about their day, to support them, to encourage them, and to dialogue with them about what matters. And I think of anything, we could spout data forever, but the reality is this is a high stakes job. This is precious. And our kids will be going off to college in no time. And maybe we can think about the bubble, the compartment of the car, as the next dinner table so that we decrease our level of risk and danger. We protect those around us, but really we get what we want, which is love and connection to our kids in another place. And at the same time, we show them not only the great decisions we make, but how important they are. Beth, I'm so thankful for what you taught me today. Thanks. I couldn't have said it better than that. The reality is, and gosh, we know it, parenting is a high stakes job. But the good news is, we've got this. Thanks for listening. The Seattle Mama Doc Podcast episodes air every single week. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say, what was helpful, and what you want to learn more about. Reach out to me on Twitter at Seattle Mama Doc, on my Facebook, Seattle Mama Doc, or at SeattleMamaDoc.com. Tell me what you want to learn. Tell me if you want to join me and point me to experts you'd love to learn more from.